The Descent, Chapter 1. What had become of this mother in the meanwhile, who, according to the people of Montfermeil, seemed to have abandoned her child? Where was she? What was she doing? After leaving her little Cosette with the Thenardiers, she went on her way and arrived at M. sur M. This, it will be remembered, was in 1818. Fantine had left the province some 12 years before, and M. sur M. had greatly changed in appearance. While Fantine had been slowly sinking deeper and deeper into misery, her native village had been prosperous. Within about two years, there had been accomplished there one of those industrial changes which are the great events of small communities. From time immemorial, the special occupation of the inhabitants of M. sur M. had been the imitation of English jets and German black glass trinkets. The business had always been dull in consequence of the high price of the raw material, which reacted upon the manufacture. At the time of Fantine's return to M. sur M., an entire transformation had been effected in the production of these black goods. Toward the end of the year, 1815, an unknown man had established himself in the city and had conceived the idea of substituting gum lock for resin in the manufacture. And for bracelets, in particular, he made the clasp by simply bending the ends of the metal together instead of soldering them. This very slight change had worked a revolution. In less than three years, the inventor of this process had become rich, which was well, and had made all around him rich, which was better. He was a stranger in the department. Nothing was known of his birth and but little of his early history. The story went that he came to the city with very little money, a few hundred francs at most. From this slender capital, under the inspiration of an ingenious idea, made fruitful by order and care, he had drawn a fortune for himself and a fortune for the whole region. On his arrival at M. sur M., he had the dress, the manners, and the language of a laborer only. It seems that the very day on which he thus obscurely entered the little city of M. sur M., just at dusk on a December evening, with his bundle on his back and a thorn stick in his hand, a great fire had broken out in the townhouse. This man rushed into the fire and saved, at the peril of his life, two children who proved to be those of the captain of the gendarmerie, and in the hurry and gratitude of the moment, no one thought to ask him for his passport. He was known from that time by the name of Father Madeleine. Chapter 2 He was a man of about fifty, who always appeared to be preoccupied in mind, and who was good-natured, and this was all that could be said about him. Thanks to the rapid progress of this manufacture, to which he had given such a wonderful life, M. sur M. had become a considerable center of business. Immense purchases were made there every year for the Spanish markets, where there is a large demand for jet work, and M. sur M., in this branch of trade, almost competed with London and Berlin. The profits of Father Madeleine were so great that by the end of the second year, he was able to build a large factory in which there were two immense workshops, one for men and the other for women. Whoever was needy could go there and be sure of finding work and wages. Before the arrival of Father Madeleine, the whole region was languishing. Now it was all alive with the healthy strength of labor. An active circulation kindled everything and penetrated everywhere. Idleness and misery were unknown, 
There was no pocket so obscure that it did not contain some money, and no dwelling so poor that it was not the abode of some joy. Father Madeleine employed everybody. He had only one condition. Be an honest man. Be an honest woman. As we have said, in the midst of this activity, of which he was the cause and the pivot, Father Madeleine had made his fortune. But, very strangely for a mere man of business, that did not appear to be his principal care. It seemed that he thought much for others, and little for himself. In 1820, it was known that he had 630,000 francs standing to his credit in the banking house of Lafitte. But before setting aside the 630,000 francs for himself, he had expended more than a million for the city and for the poor. The hospital was poorly endowed, and he made provision for 10 additional beds. M sur M is divided into the upper city and the lower city. The lower city where he lived had only one schoolhouse, a miserable hovel which was fast going to ruin. He built two, one for girls and the other for boys, and paid the two teachers from his own pocket double the amount of their meager salary from the government. And one day he said to a neighbor who expressed surprise of this, the two highest functionaries of the state are the nurse and the schoolmaster. He built at his own expense a house of refuge, an institution then almost unknown in France, and provided a fund for old and infirm laborers. About his factory, as a center, a new quarter of the city had rapidly grown up, containing many indigent families, and he established a pharmacy that was free to all. At length in 1819, it was reported in the city one morning that upon the recommendation of the prefect and in consideration of the services he had rendered to the country, Father Madeleine had been appointed by the king, mayor of M. Sur M. M. Sur M was filled with the rumor and the report proved to be well-founded. For a few days afterward, the nomination appeared in the Moniteur. The next day, Father Madeleine declined in 1820, five years after his arrival at M sur M, the services that he had rendered to the region were so brilliant, and the wish of the whole population was so unanimous, that the king again appointed him mayor of the city. He refused again, but the prefect resisted his determination, the principal citizens came and urged him to accept, and the people in the streets begged him to do so. All insisted so strongly that at last he yielded. It was remarked that what appeared most of all to bring him to this determination was the almost angry exclamation of an old woman belonging to the poor class, who cried out to him from her doorstone with some temper, A good mayor is a good thing. Are you afraid of the good you can do? Chapter 3 Little by little, in the lapse of time, all opposition had ceased. At first there had been as always happens with those who rise by their own efforts, slanders and calumnies against Monsieur Madeleine. Soon this was reduced to satire, and then it was only wit, and then it vanished entirely. Respect became complete, unanimous, cordial, and there came a moment about 1821 when the words Monsieur the Mayor were pronounced at M sur M with almost the same accent as the words Monsignor the Bishop at D in 1815. People came from 30 miles around to consult Monsieur Madeleine. 
He settled differences. He prevented lawsuits. He reconciled enemies. Everybody of his own will chose him for judge. He seemed to have the book of the natural law by heart. A contagion of veneration had, in the course of six or seven years, step by step, spread over the whole country. One man alone in the city and its neighborhood held himself entirely clear from this contagion, and whatever Father Madeleine did, he remained indifferent, as if a sort of instinct, unchangeable and imperturbable, kept him awake and on the watch. Often, when Monsieur Madeleine passed along the street, calm, affectionate, followed by the benedictions of all, happened that a tall man, wearing a flat hat and an iron-gray coat, and armed with a stout cane, would turn around abruptly behind him and follow him with his eyes until he disappeared, crossing his arms, slowly shaking his head, and pushing his upper with his underlip up to his nose, a sort of significant grimace which might be rendered by, But what is that man? I am sure I have seen him somewhere. At all events, I at least am not his dupe. This personage, grave with an almost threatening gravity, was one of those who, even in a hurried interview, commanded the attention of the observer. His name was Javert, and he was one of the police. He exercised M sur M, the unpleasant but useful function of inspector. He was not there at the date of Madeline's arrival. Certain police officers have a peculiar physiognomy in which can be traced an air of meanness mingled with an air of authority. Javert had this physiognomy without meanness. He was born in a prison. His mother was a fortune teller whose husband was in the galleys. He grew up to think himself without the pale of society and despaired of ever entering it. He noticed that society closes its doors without pity on two classes of men, those who attack it and those who guard it. He could choose between these two classes only. At the same time, he felt that he had an indescribable basis of rectitude, order and honesty, associated with an irrepressible hatred for that gypsy race to which he belonged. He entered the police. He succeeded. At 40, he was an inspector. In his youth, he had been stationed in the galleys at the south. The face of Javert consisted of a snub nose with two deep nostrils, which were bordered by large, bushy whiskers that covered both his cheeks. One felt ill at ease the first time he saw those two forests and those two caverns. When Javert laughed, which was rarely and terribly, his thin lips parted and showed not only his teeth, but his gums, and around his nose there was a wrinkle as broad and wild as the muzzle of a fallow deer. Javert, when serious, was a bulldog. When he laughed, he was a tiger. For the rest, a small head, large jaws, hair hiding the forehead, and falling over the eyebrows, between the eyes a permanent central frown, a gloomy look, a mouth pinched and frightful, and an air of fierce command. This man was a compound of two sentiments, very simple and very good in themselves, but he almost made them evil by his exaggeration of them, respect for authority and hatred of rebellion. In his eyes, theft, murder, all crimes, were only forms of rebellion. In his strong and implicit faith, he included all who held any function in the state, 
from the prime minister to the constable. He had nothing but disdain, aversion, and disgust for all who had once overstepped the bounds of the law. He was absolute and admitted no exceptions. On the one hand, he said, a public officer cannot be deceived. A magistrate never does wrong. And on the other, he said, they are irremediably lost. No good can come out of them. He shared fully the opinion of those extremists who attribute to human laws an indescribable power of making, or if you will, of determining, demons, and who place a Styx at the bottom of society. He was stoical, serious, austere, a dreamer of stern dreams, humble and haughty, like all fanatics. His stare was cold and as piercing as a gimlet. His whole life was contained in these two words, waking and watching. He marked out a straight path through the most torturous thing in the world. His conscience was bound up in his utility, his religion in his duties, and he was a spy as others are priests. Woe to him who should fall into his hands. He would have arrested his father if escaping from the galleys and denounced his mother for violating her ticket of leave. And he would have done it with that sort of interior satisfaction that springs from virtue. His life was a life of privations, isolation, self-denial, and chastity. Never any amusement. It was implacable duty, absorbed in the police as the Spartans were absorbed in Sparta. A pitiless detective, a fierce honesty, a marble-hearted informer, Brutus united with Vidoch. Such was this formidable man. Javert was like an eye always fixed on Monsieur Madeleine, an eye full of suspicion and conjecture. Monsieur Madeleine finally noticed it, but seemed to consider it of no consequence. He asked no question of Javert, but neither sought him nor shunned him. He endured this unpleasant and annoying stare without appearing to pay any attention to it. He treated Javert as he did everybody else, at ease and with kindness. Javert was evidently somewhat disconcerted by the completely natural air and the tranquility of Monsieur Madeleine. One day, however, his strange manner appeared to make an impression upon Monsieur Madeleine. The occasion was this.